0: A few weeks ago, Christopher asked me if I would, I would uh, come and preach and celebrate with the church this morning. I was really honored. And um, I shot him back an email and said, Is, are these the lessons we're using? Pause, pause, he wrote back, yes, exactly. So yesterday I picked up the bulletins from the printer and yesterday morning, late in the morning, I thought ah, i better look at the bullet and make sure I've got the order of service in my head. These aren't the lessons. <laughs> So a week's worth of sermon crashed into the wrong set of lessons. I texted him and he said, hmm, I'll have to fire my secretary. So. Um so there are two sermons bouncing around in my head. So if I, if I flail and, and, and you say, Tim, do you, need sta- do you want to stand? And I'm thinking, what do you mean? Of course, <laughs> actually, in the early, if you look at the architecture of early churches, I mean, this is all wrong. You know, the preacher got to sit and everybody else stood around. If you ever go to like an Orthodox church, traditional Greek or Russian Orthodox church, there's no chairs except along the wall for very old or infirm people. And the preacher has this throne. Oh, this is nice. Anyway, nothing I can do about that today, so I I will stand and and, uh, hopefully say something that makes some sense after multiple sermon endeavors. Anyway, I was going to preach on, and I will still preach on, that first uh, core value of your congregation. Uh, Christopher and, and Dan, over the last five weeks, have been talking about this church's values, the emerging values of Church of the Resurrection. And they're they're really quite wonderful. And if you missed any of those sermons, if you had to be away some of those Sundays, uh, go to the church's website. Uh, They've all been recorded. They're all recorded as podcasts. And so you can catch the ones that that you might have missed. And I listened to Christopher's sermon on the first one, which is Identity in Christ, which actually does leap out of this lesson just as much as it leapt out of the other set that I was preparing to preach upon. So identity, finding an identity in Christ, and really a new identity in Christ, and we we have to be um, careful because words, we have to use words because it's what we have, but they don't always do justice to the mystery of what God is doing, and finding this new identity in Christ is is, uh, expressed a number of different ways in the scriptures. There's a number of different pictures that you can hang it on. The one we have today is being clothed with Christ. You probably heard that in that reading from Galatians. All who have been baptized have been clothed with Christ. And a new identity emerges that overcomes all kinds of other identities. That radical verse, it's Galatians 3.28, where it says, "...neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, not even male or female, you are all one in Christ." That's a powerful exposition from the Apostle Paul of finding a new identity in Christ, where Christ becomes our identity. Now, the lesson also warns us not to get too too horribly agitated by that, because you may be thinking, "Gosh, I don't think that way. I don't experience life that way. Um, you know, I, I really I'm just the same old person I've ever been. I struggle with the same things I've always with which I've always struggled," and the lesson starts out by talking about uh, the law, that, that there was a thing called the law that was our custodian that kind of dragged us around. And there's a place for the rules that say, you should be better. You should be doing better, finding your new identity in Christ. How far along are you? On a scale of one to 10, how much Jesus are you? You know, There's that way of thinking. But Paul says that, that, that gets us started that we should have a period of life where we're in awe of God and we know, boy, I'm far from God. This is, I'm not where I need to be. We should have that. But Christ is very, very patient. God in Christ is very, very patient. And this identity in Christ, we're not going to absorb it. The nice thing is, if you look around and think about it, even the most, to your mind, the most Christian person you know isn't Jesus, isn't complete yet, right? They've got their flaws, unless you've got real rose-colored glasses on. They've got their flaws. They've got their struggles and challenges. They're not completely Christ-like yet either. Nobody is. And that's the material with which God works in Christ. This new identity has been placed upon us. Let's use that image again of being clothed with Christ. And it begins, to, it begins to emerge in our life. It begins to bear fruit. And Christ is doing the work, as we sang in one of the songs. God is the one doing, doing the work of transforming us in Christ. Uh, one of the spiritual writers I like is, is uh, called John of the Cross. And John of the Cross, in his writings, says something I've always found very comforting. He says that the soul that is seeking Christ can be assured that Christ is seeking it even more. So if you're even concerned at all with, Guy, am, I, am I an okay Christian? Am I doing if you're even having the, the, the littlest thought that you want to have this identity in Christ, that you, that, that you know that's the right way to go, if you're having even the littlest thought, as Jesus said, you know, a mustard seed sprouts big, that little thought means that Christ is, is leading you forward and Christ is going to establish his identity in you. And that identity is not completed in this life. The church of the resurrection, we, we, we hope in the resurrection life. As Paul said in, uh, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, he said that, you know, if we have hoped in Christ for this life only, we are of all people to be pitied because we've really sold ourselves and Christ short. We've missed the point that this is a completion that takes place in the presence of God. That which is temporary and mortal is going to be transformed in its identity in Christ into that which is eternal and immortal. So that is the work that is taking place in us. Now, what what does that look like along the way? That's a very mysterious idea. What does it look like along the way? What are some things we can engage in our flesh and even with our flesh and blood limitations. Um, It starts to talk about being clothed with Christ. And when we think about being clothed, um, our clothing can express a lot of different things, right? Uh, And so as we're clothed with Christ, his qualities can start to come out in our life. Sometimes, you know, we wear dark colors and that's kind of solemn or it makes you not look so fat. That's the other thing about it. That's why clergy wear black. I mean, come on, face it. No. Uh, bright colors can imply joy. You know, you may be going to a joyful event of some kind and bright colors send that message. Different things with which we clothe ourselves. So when we're cold, what we clothe ourselves with warms us and keeps us safe. In weather like this, we wear something lighter and, and that breathes a little more. So we're more comfortable in the heat. To be clothed is to be transformed in some little way Uh, with whatever we put on each morning we're, we're, we're being changed to face that day and so as we're clothed with christ we pray that his qualities are emerging in our life that his qualities we don't take them off and hang them up and put them away we may try I mean, that's the nature of sin. That's the struggle between the flesh and the spirit that the Bible talks about. We are clothed with Christ. We may try to take him up and put him on a coat, take him off and put him on a coat rack and get rid of him. It won't work. Once we're clothed with Christ, we're clothed with Christ. And different, different aspects of who Jesus is may start to emerge in our life and show forth to the world. Your church's value statements kind of get into that. You know, if you're being more hospitable to people who are. Unlike you, or whom you may not even like entirely. That's the clothing of Christ showing to the world. That's, the, that's Christ showing through your through your life. Um, you know, as you as you nurture intentionally children in the love of God, that is Christ showing forward in your life. All of those values your church is trying to to stoke and nurture, these are expressions. And there's many more. As you read the scriptures, you will find many more. One of the ways that that um, that that the clothing of christ begins to show is as i said at the top off the top in the service when we begin to find connection family relationship love ultimately love with uh, people who are unlike us very unlike ourselves The, the the more mixed up and diverse a church is it's more difficult you'll have different priorities different perspectives but that's more the clothing of christ the more, the more different. As I said, the global Anglican church spans continents. It's all kinds of different people. And that's why it says in, in Galatians 3.28, there is, there, is no uh, there is no more Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. Now what is what is that? Let's, let's drill down into that a little more. That's, that's an important verse. Because um, we can go some really weird places with it if we if we if we want to. But let's try to see what Paul is saying there. What he's saying is that the things that divide people, the things we wear that divide us, the things I put on that say I'm different from you and ultimately better than you, you know, those things have to give way to Christ. Those things have to give way to, we are both people in need of Christ and and we are both loved by Christ and we are brothers and sisters to use another biblical image. to, To be clothed with Christ is to overcome the difference between Jew and Greek. Now, what that meant to the early church, these were the two primary groups, because as we sang right before the Gospel, to that point, God had revealed himself with most clarity and most specificity to the Jewish people through what we call the Old Covenant, the Law of Moses, the prophets, and the Jewish writings. That's where God had been revealed. And then there was the, what was then called the Greek world or the Gentile world, everybody who wasn't Jewish, and they were, they were pagans, they were on the outside. And in Christ, God begins to bring these two groups together as one. In Jesus, God begins to bridge from his first covenant people to the whole world, to our whatever ancestors we had, whatever race or tribe or nation we come from, out from the Jewish people comes the Christ and his apostles go forth into the whole world. And so, instead of A Christians and B Christians, first-class Christians and second-class Christians, Paul is here in this verse saying, in Christ, there's no more of this Jew and Greek. There's no more of this separation. And so we have to take this to our, our own minds to say, okay, um who you know, who are my outgroups? Who are my people who I who are the people I think of as unlike me so much that they're beyond God's love? I'm so much better than them that that you know I can just kind of keep them away. That's that's the challenge of that verse. And there it's talking specifically about, about race, culture, uh, religious background, all those sorts of human dividers, right? Jew or Greek. We have to bring it to our own time. Who are the people I, I, I don't want to be around? I think I don't have to be around. Slave or free? That's obviously, for, in our day, when we've, we hope, gotten rid of slavery, we have to bring that in terms of, of, of economic class, social status, questions like that. Um, I, I, one of the things I can take no pride in, but I'm proud of, I don't know if that makes any sense. Uh, my older son, he was switched at birth, by the way, he's smart, he's good-looking, he's got all this stuff going on. In his life. Um, anyway, we lucked out in that accident. And um, he, he, um, he was, he was runner-up at his high school, at Lincoln High here. He, he was almost homecoming king. He was on the homecoming court. Um, but we were all, we were all, a group of us parents were standing in the parking lot, you know, bragging on our children. And, and, uh, and one of the nice things I got from the other parents about, his name's also Tim, about Tim was they said, the reason people like your son is, is that he moves among all these different groups of people. He played on the football team, but he could be among, and he's, he's an engineer, so he could be among nerdy people. He said, they said he just, he just treats everybody the same and he moves among different groups. You know, you know, it's, you know, you know high school, you, you, you find your clique, you know, Jews and Greeks, slave and free. You know. and, and, and he was able to move among different groups and, 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 and be, be respectful and friendly. And I take no credit for that, because I never said, Tim, move among different groups and be respectful and friendly. But the fact was that in the course of, of almost 30 years of ministry, we served very different congregations. We were we were in in, in very very blue-collar working class congregations. We were in congregations that were older, we were in congregations that were younger, we were in congregations one one that was very affluent, full of gated communities, and boy, you talk about slave and free, you know, don't you know I I couldn't make pastoral visits on my people without stopping at the security gate and asking permission and they would call the person, can this guy come in? You know, it's really weird. Anyway, but the church, the church, those endeavoring to find identity in Christ because we were serving churches, we were serving different congregations in different settings, that by, by, I would say, osmosis, maybe that's a good image for baptismal water, our son learned to respect different kinds of people. He learned through the church, just by showing up in a sense, that there's all kinds of people and you love them and you respect them. and, and, And in Christ, they all have meaning and value. So that's, that's something good about being part of your local church, you know, and, or finding a new church wherever you move. Um, being part of a church congregation helps that happen. So social class, slave or free? Obviously, what, a, what an amazing message in that period of history, in the apostolic times, to, to, to be bringing together congregations. Now, already they're mixing up Jews and Greeks who weren't supposed, to, they weren't even supposed to be in the same room together. They weren't supposed to eat together. Uh, you know, you, you, there, there, there was whole issues of called clean and unclean. You would get spiritual cooties if you mixed. And, and the church starts mixing them. Now it gets even worse. Now they're telling, you know, they're telling people who owned other people, basically, well, you have to bring them to church. And you have to be their equal. You have to function as their brother or sister now what? And I just read, a it's an amazing book. It, it's, um, it, it, it's simply called Dignity. I mess up the guy's, is it Michael Andrade? Anyway, I mess up his first name. It, it, if you can get that book and read it, it's pretty amazing. He was this Wall Street guy who had kind of a, a crisis of faith in what he was doing. And um, he started walking through neighborhoods, any neighborhood where people said, you don't want to go there, that's dangerous, you, know, you don't want to walk through that neighborhood. He started walking around talking to people. And eventually, this is, he started driving around the country doing this. And he's written this book called Dignity. And what he, what he posits is that, look, America has become divided into, into front row and back row. And he was a front row guy. Um, and, and he says you know, he went around meeting the back row people. And it's an amazing book. Not everything's comfortable to read in it. I didn't necessarily like everything I read in it, but it's a really worthwhile read. And He's a great photographer. He takes pictures wherever he goes. Um, one of the things he found about the people he calls the back row, the people who value community so much, they don't want to move. You know, we, we, we think in terms of, like my son right now is in school in Boston, my older boy. He's in Boston, right? And we're thinking, hey, this is great. You know, you'll grow up. And Of course, in the Midwest here, isn't that one of the themes? You, you, you grow up, you graduate high school, and you, and you go off to the coasts or to a, like a big city like Atlanta or, 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 well, maybe Omaha, but even that's too small. You go to Denver, you go, you go somewhere big, and you get more education, and you get a career, and maybe later when you want to retire, you come back, right? That was unheard of, you know, in New Testament times. I mean, you didn't separate from your community. That was, that was, that was what was so radical about the apostles you know, leaving behind their communities. They were putting themselves at great risk. But um, anyway, people he found that he calls, that we've rendered to the back row, don't live like that. They value neighborhood, they value family, they value communities. They want to build their life where they are, and yet we've, we've formed kind of an economic system where, where oftentimes, in some places, at least you can't do it. You, you're, you're, you're impoverished by staying there. What he said he found is that the places where dignity was established, in those communities, in back row America that everyone looks down on, even the most progressive, and he, he, he is a progressive kind of thinker, and he says even he, these are the people he looked down on, the two places where they find dignity, one, one is McDonald's, McDonald's, because there's usually McDonald's, and that's where people hang out, and there's affordable food and coffee, and, and they won't run you out of there necessarily, and the church, and he was a non-believer. And he's still kind of a non-believer, but he's shifted. Now he's kind of into agnosticism. He's, he's, he's moving <laughs> toward faith because what he found was the place that treated people with dignity were these local churches that, that anchored in their communities, even little storefront churches that might have 10 people in them, where, where the preaching might be pretty severe. You know, the, the preachers might be haranguing them about drug use and all the things that are going on in the community, and yet they're treated as equals and welcome and, and given dignity. So new identity in Christ, new, from back row person to child of God. That's important stuff. It's a great book, uh, worth getting to look at if, if, you, if you get a chance. Um, and then neither male nor female, neither male nor female. Now that gets really touchy in today because what do we have on Facebook? Ninety-five point seven identities or whatever gender. Anyway, all this stuff that's going on. So what I'm saying is this: this can get stretched, but. Neither male nor female in terms of status is what Paul is saying there. Neither male nor female in terms of of uh, you know one one has value, one has le- one has more value, one has less value. Um, we see in the New Testament an elevation of the role and place of women in the ancient world, which was pretty radical um, in, 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 in 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 many cultures. You know, uh, even in in um, even in, uh, in in early Judaism, um, it took two women to be court witnesses to equal one man. You, had, you know, if, if you're called women as you as you had to have two or you could have one guy. Things like that, and the church starts to whittle away at that. There's a new identity in Christ. Christ who, who, um, who, who, who spoke to women in ways that socially were disapproved. You weren't supposed to just walk up to women and speak to them in public. He would. Um, in Paul's uh, journeys in the book of Acts, you find that women led house churches, for instance. He founded in a church, the first church in Europe was in the house of a woman named Lydia, who was a woman of somewhat independent means, um, who, who traded in, in, in purple cloth, which, long story short, was an expensive commodity. In those days, it was hard to make and hard to get. And um, Lydia establishes the first house church in Europe, in, in, in Greece. And so this elevation of, of uh, Of of women alongside men where usually there was a two-tiered system was was radical as well. So so you've got this breaking down of racial divisions, breaking down of social divisions, breaking down of of gender divisions, and the church is meant for people to find they're all one, being made new in Christ. The new identity in Christ is is meant to bring an equality of love and value. So that's Long, boy, that was long. See, I told you two sermons. You never want to bring somebody in with two sermons bouncing around in their head. Oh, my God. Um, but one of the ways you see that your identity in Christ is growing is, is that you're around people. And I know Dan mentioned this last week. Do you have, in your circle of friends, people who aren't Christians? Do you have you know, people you have fun and fellowship with who aren't Christians? Do you, do you build those bridges? Do you find yourself valuing people because God values them? Uh, not because of what they can do for us or bring to us or because they make us feel safe and valued uh, because they agree with us on everything. Are, are, are you finding value with, with, with people who are unlike you? That's, that's a sign of identity in Christ. And I'll do one more thing because it's so important in that gospel today. Take up your cross daily and follow me. The big sign of your identity in Christ is, is, um, is love that is, is manifested in a Christ-like way. The cross was a scandalous thing. Um, we see it from the vantage point of history. We know the cross is the sign of Jesus, that Jesus died for us on the cross. But when he said that he hadn't been crucified yet, when he turned to them and said, hey, take up your crosses daily and follow me, all they knew was that the Romans were killing people on those things. You know, All they knew was that this was the way that the Romans who occupied their country were, were humiliating and executing people and terrorizing the population. And Jesus is saying, you know, each day, you're going to have to take up a cross. You're going to have to be vulnerable. Um, you're going to have to put up with indignities um, to show the world that God loves it. And that that's the biggest sign of our identity in, in Christ is the cross. Not that we necessarily wear one around our neck or symbolically or put one on a bumper sticker or whatever, but that we, we, we walk daily bearing the cross. That we too are vulnerable. Uh, we too... Um, uh, love the world so much that we will endure its indignities, uh, respond to curses with blessing, as the Bible tells us to do, that we will love in the way that Christ loved. And like I say, I, I, I don't know about you, for me that's a real back and forth battle. Some days I do that really, really well. Some days I'm really, really selfish and don't want to do that. Some days I want to pull the covers over my head and not do that. You know, I can be cowardly, I can be petty, I can be mean. All those different things that go on in us. And yet I rest in the assurance that Christ is transforming me, that I've been clothed with Christ in my baptism, and that he is transforming me to be more as he is, and that I will be as he is in the age to come. I'll end with a verse that I've been been pondering a lot lately. Um, It's one worth looking at. It's kind of mysterious, but it's it's worth seeing. Uh, Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 when I think about carrying the cross, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There's another, we've clothed with Christ, but also Christ living in us. There's another picture of, of, of bearing, bearing new identity in Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Two strong words there. He loved me, not our our catch-all English word, a specific word from Greek for love that means to put the other first, to pour yourself out on behalf of the other. And gave himself for me is a Greek word that can also mean betrayed. Christ betrayed his own flesh interest, his own self-interest in the flesh for me, for us. Christ betrayed his own need for comfort and stability when he walked in the flesh. Christ, by taking the cross, betrayed his own need for survival of the flesh, so to speak, for me, for us, because that's how much God loves us. Our identity in Christ grows as we appreciate that. And as we, like Christ, begin to bend, um, begin to bend and and exhibit life, wear life in a way that reflects that, that vulnerable and sacrificial love for other people on God's behalf. It runs all through your value system there. Hospitality isn't always convenient or comfortable. Raising children or any kind of family life isn't always convenient or comfortable. Uh, Finding a purpose isn't always convenient or comfortable. Trying to renew your community isn't always convenient or comfortable. None of them are. These are all ways we bear the cross, but we bear it following the one who's already been over the ground, who's already... Uh, planted his presence there for us to encounter in the people we come to serve. So finding that new identity in Christ, we wear him at the same time he's within us and we follow him. It's the mystery of God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. Uh, We are who we are, and yet we are him as well. And in him, we are touching them, the whole world, connected by love. May we be blessed to find new identity in Christ. May we be blessed by the comfort of being clothed with Christ, the warmth when it's cold, the cool when it's too hot, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the brightness when we need to show, and the, the uh, serenity when we need to withdraw. Whatever we need to do, we go with Christ and He with us. And that's what we'll celebrate in Holy Communion. That's what we'll Uh, Proclaim now in the words of faith through the Nicene Creed. Amen.